We are breaking ground on chapter 5 of 1 John. It's the last chapter of 1 John. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Amen, dear saints. You may be seated. As Elder Craig mentioned, we're breaking into a brand new chapter, the last chapter of the epistle of 1 John. I thank you that you read those last two verses too, Craig, 4 and 5, because they're actually my favorite verses in the whole book. And uh, next week we get to preach those, but today we're just going to concentrate, Lord willing, anyway, we're going to concentrate on the first three verses. And um, they are incredible in their own right. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Prayer is such an important part of the church life. Father, we thank you that again we pray, this time calming our hearts before you because we're about ready to hear Jesus speak to his beloved church and uh, communicate himself to us in the glorious gospel and then himself as well in the sacrament. We thank you that nothing else would satisfy us, not concepts or truths or theological dictates or theorems, but only Jesus himself. So feed us the Son of God, faith coming by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we use the language, children born as lovers of God, we have to be both careful and clear, do we not? Because most people, I suspect, in the world, and many in Christendom, would think, when we use that kind of speech, that babies are born pure and innocent and free from any sin or stain. Have you ever heard that kind of thing? On the other hand, have you ever heard of vipers in diapers? Uh, You know, this goes both ways. The reality is no baby needs to be taught how to sin. It comes very naturally because, in fact, it is completely wrong to suppose that a human being conceived in Adam is anything other than a sinner already under the wrath, the rightful wrath of God, and a convinced sinner. The only difference is they haven't had the opportunity yet to express that sinfulness. So this is an extremely important part of Christian theology. And of course, if anybody grasps this total depravity, they will, if they are thinking clearly, eventually become Calvinists like you because the only hope would be a sovereign God who would break that cycle of sin and death. Every human being, with the exception of Jesus Christ himself, is conceived as a sinner. Now, we even read that in in Psalm 51, verse 5, which I extended. In sin did my mother conceive me. 
And indeed, that's true. It's not the act that is the sinfulness. It is the communication of the nature of Adam upon every single person born into this world, with the exception of Jesus Christ, who was himself conceived by the Holy Spirit. All the rest of us are conceived wretched sinners, fully deserving the righteous wrath and judgment of God. So when we say children born as lovers of God, what we're really referring to is the second or new birth, whereby human beings, young and old, male, female, races, all diversities, are birthed into the kingdom church of God through the spectacular act of the Holy Spirit, whereby we are regenerated or born again into a new nature in Christ, whereby the benefits of Jesus' atonement are applied to our dead, lost, sinful, rebellious, and God-hating hearts. If it is true of us that we are born again in Jesus, and I don't assume that, but if that is true of us, then let us seek to make it our goal this Lord's Day to live our true nature in Christ as children of God. Now, I do assume that, by the way, of those of you who are faithful members of the faithful church and you continue to come back Sunday by Sunday. I do assume that of you. I want to be clear. Let's look together now at 1 John 5, 1 through 3. Children born as lovers of God. First, the doctrine. Though everyone is conceived in sin and rebellion... All the elect get born again in love and transformation. So we have to recognize and accept the scripture's insistence that even the elect, get this now, even the elect of God, elect and predestined from all eternity, even the elect are conceived in sin and death, hell, judgment, and rebellion. But that, in God's perfect and sovereignly administered time, and that can be an instant after conception, or any other time that he chooses, God then regenerates them and makes them new creatures in Christ. Very important doctrine. Hence, it is true that though everyone is conceived in sin and rebellion, all the elect get born again in love and transformation. First, this universal law of the fall is absolute with one exception. And that exception, of course, as alluded to earlier, is our Lord Jesus Christ, who, even according to our wonderful creedal statements, was conceived by the Holy Spirit without even the slightest taint or stain of sin. The two references on your outline, one, the first one from 1 Corinthians 15, proves the universality of the fallen nature among all of the rest of us. The second one is the exception, Hebrews 4.15, of Jesus, who is without any sin. Also, I will say to be theologically extremely accurate, that we are not technically including Adam and Eve in this list either, because they were created directly by the hand of God, Adam from the dust and Eve from his side before the fall in the Garden of Eden. So keep that in mind. The fall of man into sin explains everything we need to know about the human condition. Everything you need to know about what you hear on the news or read or you might be concerned about. 
in your own life or in your community, the world in which you live. The fall explains everything. Everything else is pretty much superfluous. We sin because we are sinners. Sinners sin because they are sinners. Sinners sin. That's what sinners do. And that's just the facts of the matter, dears. We are all sinners by nature. But the good news is Christ came to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, this problem of sin is never rectified without regeneration, which we've already referred to several times. In Jesus Christ's blood atonement, common grace, which is a very important um, fact, common grace keeps us from totally annihilating each other and the rest of the world. That's why culture and society continues to exist, because common grace, coming from God, keeps us from killing each other off completely. But only sovereign, saving grace in Jesus Christ brings us any true life, hope, or any change. This universal law of the fall is absolute with one exception, and our responsibility is to believe in Christ and to love God. Someone might say, if all that's true, what you're saying about the fall and my nature and who I am in Adam then what am I to do about that? And you know, in Acts 2, they asked the apostles that same question. What am I to do? What are we to do? Well, the answer is to believe the gospel, or to be even clearer, to believe in the Christ of the good news. Someone might say, well, how do you do that? That seems easy, but it's not. Might further inquire, how does this happen? Well, it happens when upon hearing the good news of the grace of God in Jesus Christ, which you are doing right now, We accede to it, we believe it, and we passively accept and receive it as our own. It becomes who we now are. A sinner then hearing and truly believing the gospel exercises faith in the Christ of the gospel and in the good news. And if this faith is wrought by the Holy Spirit as a gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, then this is solid evidence that we are born again or regenerated into the family of God. We are new creatures, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Then this soul is properly said to be born now anew as a lover of God. The rest of that person's life, the entire balance of it, will be spent and becoming more and more conformed into the image of the ultimate, last, and great Adam, Jesus Christ, the image of him, in the context of, and under the guidance and supervision and shepherding and love and grace and mercy and kindness of, the covenant community of the faithful church. Now let's look at verses 1 to 3 of First John chapter 5. And observe together the gracious traits, T-R-A-I-T-S, characteristics of newborn lovers of God. Everyone born of a father resembles that father in some ways, good or bad. And the same is certainly true um, in the spiritual birth of God's children, except that all of our Heavenly Father's characteristics are perfect, good, holy, righteous, and loving. It's just that we don't reflect those in the totality that we will in glory, but we're moving in that direction every Sunday, becoming more and more conformed into this image of our Father, 
through Jesus Christ. So let's be encouraged by and grow in the gracious traits of newborn lovers of God. First, we have uniform covenant affection for the entire true church. Verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So uniform means consistent, so that there's no exceptions, that we apply the same principle across the board. Now this verse 1 is very consistent with everything John has been teaching us throughout his short epistle of 1 John. But this particular verse 1 is intriguing, though, because... It premises our love for each other in the church on our initial love for God our Father. Did you see that? So it premises or makes us the basis for our love for each other, our love for God, which we must remember from chapter 4, verses 10 and 19, that he first loved us before we ever loved him. Now the next verse, verse 2, which we'll look at in a little while, observes this from a different angle by teaching that we know we love the children of God through our love for God. But the main thing about verse 1 is that the new birth in Christ propels us into a universe of covenant love or affection. Love for God, love for each other in the body of Christ. The immediate antecedent, or what just came before verse 1, is saving faith in Jesus Christ. No faith, no love. Yes, faith. Yes, love. That's how close faith and love are joined. Let us now move on to the aforementioned verse 2. The gracious traits of newborn lovers of God. We have uniform covenant affection for the entire true church, and we apply our faith through generous care for one another, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Now this is interesting, dears, because a lot of times, perhaps most of the times, maybe all the time, we think about what it means to love another human being, especially one in the church. We think about what that other person wants or needs. Right? I mean, that's normally how we think. And there's nothing wrong with that logic. That's sound, actually. But the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, appears to be lifting us to a higher level of understanding of love here in this verse 2. By suggesting that our love for and obedience to God is the best way to love other people, particularly God's people. And I want to drive that home. The best way you can love yourself, your spouse, your children, your fellow church members, all Christians, other people, is to love God, first and foremost. It's the very, very best way to love anyone or anything. Here again are the words of this verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. In truth, one of the most effective ways to love other human beings, other people, is through our examples. Our examples are extremely important. The example we set of a spiritual, reasonable service to God, a faithful thing of loving God 
in doing what he says. Now, don't misunderstand, none of this is meant in any way to negate the legitimate, concrete, and other needs of our fellow human beings. Again, as always, as per this text, foremost in the church, as this verse brings out. But, but if we fail where it matters the most, as in loving Christ and his covenant church, then nothing else we do for other people will ultimately be all that significant, helpful, important, or relevant, or last very long. Are you following me? So, this is one of the reasons that your being right here today in the convocation of the Holy Church and the worship of God on the Lord's Day, the Resurrection Day, the new Sabbath, the new world, the new day, your being here today is one of the best ways you can love your neighbor, whether he or she is a Christian or a non-Christian. And from that high point where you are today, you may then love them in any number of other ways that you might choose. But the best way we love anyone is by obeying and first loving God. And we'll never obey him if we don't love him. Okay, People might throw God some crumbs and look religious, whatever. No one really obeys God properly who doesn't love him. And the only way we love him is through Christ who first loved us. It's all about this glorious regeneration, new birth in Christ. The gracious traits of newborn lovers of God. We have uniform covenant affection for the entire true church. We apply our faith through generous care for one another. And finally, we adopt a radical attitude toward all God's ways. Verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, I I suspect that verse 3 does not comply with our ordinary way of thinking, especially since in the flesh, myself included, none of us really like to talk about obeying God at all. That's just something that we aren't too excited about. And also, we don't really prefer joining obedience to God with love for God. We, we typically like to try to separate those, which is totally impossible. But that's more convenient for us sinners, and we like it that way. But God won't have it that way. He always puts it together. But dears, as we look at verse 3 from a different angle, a more supernatural, new, revolutionary perspective, we get to see a glory in it that otherwise we might easily miss. And let me share this with you. It's interesting. That glory is that for true, born-again, regenerated Christian churchmen who take their vows seriously, their baptism seriously, who keep coming back, who show by doing that their regeneration, in one sense we have it easier than unbelievers, pagans, and people that just don't know or love God or don't even profess to. Why is this the case? Well, it's because as we do, must, and even want to learn to grow in our obedience to God through our love for him and our new nature in Christ, Our compliance to our good master, Jesus, is a whole lot less toilsome and troublesome and burdensome and hardship-laden 
then the poor unbelievers have it is they have to obey their vicious slave driving master Satan who gives them no day off, no Sabbath, no rest. He just tells them, do what you want, have it your way. He gives them false promises. And it looks easier for them on the front end, but the end is very horrible. In a very real sense, we have it a lot easier. Did Jesus not say, my burden is easy, my yoke is light, take that upon you? In Matthew 11. Now, this is all found in the words that close out verse 3. God's commandments are not burdensome. So let us no longer be fearful or afraid or reticent about joining obedience to God with love for God. Because for the true saints of the church, obedience isn't burdensome. It really isn't as we grow in our understanding of even what's best for us, let alone everyone else in the world. And it's evidence of our affection for God. Let's do some application this morning and understand why children born as lovers of God are necessarily otherworldly. Now, by otherworldly, I don't mean weird, but I do mean categorically and essentially different. Now, it's not that we look different from anybody else. Typically, we dress the way most people do and look the way we, you know, live in houses and all that kind of stuff. It's not that, but our interior life is completely consumed by a different love, a different God, and a different kingdom the kingdom or church of Christ. So now, without further ado, let us get right to the very root of why children born as lovers of God are necessarily otherworldly. First, because regeneration frees us from being simply dead in trespasses and sins. In other words, we are children born as lovers of God immediately upon the occasion of our being regenerated by the blessed Holy Spirit. Born again. This profound transformation instantaneously liberates us from our intractable in Adam bondage to the sin nature that we were conceived in. Now granted, that sin nature still sticks to us in this life. There's no question about that. In a very real sense, even as regenerated Christians, that's an important thing to say. We do struggle with it. And it never goes away. I mean, I suppose if it did, we'd just be in heaven right away. Or we wouldn't need to come back to church to hear the gospel every Sunday. And we wouldn't need the nourishment of Christ at his table. But we do. And that's because we are still burdened with this sin nature. But it's not a rabbit on a wheel going around in circles. Whatever animals do, that sort of thing. Um, it, it is really us making progress in Christ's likeness, really, uh, Lord's Day to Lord's Day, it really is. Now, sometimes you might say, well, it seems like two steps forward, three back, four forward, two back. Yeah, I get that. That's part of it. Don't be concerned too much about that. Remember, to, as I mentioned last week, to just keep pressing on individually in your soul as your church. We continue to press out the sword of the Spirit, and take the ground before us. It's the army of God. Victory after victory after victory in our souls, in our sanctification, and in the extension of the kingdom or church of God.
Now, it is true that sometimes this old nature does uh, get the best of us. There's no question about it. Sometimes it tricks us, trips us up, and sometimes God uses it just to humble us, to remind us that, oh yeah, you know what, I'm still a sinner. I can relate to other sinners now. It is a humbling experience. But as long as we use it for good, all things work together for good. But we're no longer dead in trespasses and sins. We used to be. We were conceived dead. We didn't get dead later. We were conceived dead. Dead on arrival. And yet, made alive in Christ. And all this life of ours is the result of our being united with the God-man person of our Lord Jesus in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. Christ himself is our life. Christ is our life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. He is our life. He lives in us by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in us. Why children are born as lovers of God are necessarily otherworldly because regeneration frees us from being simply dead in trespasses and sins. Since now, as justified churchmen, we're entirely new creatures in Christ. This is the other more positive side of the same ecclesiastical and theological coin. Namely, that not only are we no longer dead in trespasses and sins, but now we are new creatures in Christ. This is great. And this newness gets renewed every Sunday as we feast again on Jesus. And because of the nourishment we receive from him in the gospel, in the sacrament, his body and blood, we are growing up into him as his church, into the head, as per Ephesians 4.15. There's every day may be a new adventure for us, you people in Christ Jesus who love him, the church of God, you faithful by grace, people, not because of yourself, it's a miracle. You need never become stale or stagnant or stuck in neutral. You have the unique privilege of being and becoming someone remarkable, incredible, especially in the eyes of God, the only one who really matters anyway. Let me encourage you in your newness and in this new year to find all of it in Jesus all the time. How do you do this? By continuing to trust him and by fellowshipping with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Providentially, we mentioned Elder Craig with the prayer, the whole thing about prayer. That is true about the worship service. In prayer. And always start from the high place where you are right now in the convocation of the Holy Church of God on Lord's Day, which you're doing now. This gospel is for everyone. It's good news for the whole world. Your Christ-like life will be used by God to draw his own sheep to himself. Beloved, children born as lovers of God are special. In a certain sense, not just the little ones, but all of us are covenant children of God in that sense. Only we, by grace, are children born as lovers of God. Let's be thankful and pray. Father, thank you for that, that we're born again as lovers of God, because when we're conceived, we are haters of God. But this shows forth the amazing glory and power of the gospel, that you would take people that are completely at odds with you and make them your friends. Not just your friends, your children. We thank you for that. Blessed God that you are. Thank you. 
There is hope for all of us in Christ Jesus. The gospel is there. And for everyone here who is faithful in Jesus and your church, may they be encouraged and build up in their most holy faith. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.